0: Hello, welcome to our new medical series, Call to Care by Sanford Health. I'm your host, Courtney Collin. Call to Care brings forward medical experts to give fellow clinicians some advice and guidance that they can use in their primary care practice and information about when it's time to refer patients and families to that more specialized care. Joining me for six episodes focusing on children's care is Dr. Joseph Sejlan. He's the vice president and medical officer for Sanford Children's Hospital and a leader in pediatric critical care. And he is named now- narrow down six timely topics for us. Good to see you, Dr. Sejlan. Yeah, great to
1: see you as well, Courtney.
0: Today we're talking about cost-effective diagnosis and management of acute appendicitis. Dr. Sejlan, first tell us why you chose this topic.
1: You know, appendicitis is something that a lot of providers see and, and you hear about, and, and that's, it's not uncommon for a child to have uh, appendicitis or to need uh, appendectomy. So I thought it would be really useful to get a pediatric surgeon's perspective of this common condition.
0: Let's welcome Dr. Adam Gora to the conversation today.
1: Dr. Gora, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we really are, are glad to have you here, and I, I know our providers are quite excited to, to listen to what you have to say. Why don't you, we start off by um, telling us a little bit about what is the training for a pediatric surgeon? So uh,
2: as, a, as a pediatric surgeon, we uh, have to get board certified first in general, general surgery. So that is uh, usually five years of training after medical school. Uh, which covers all aspects of general surgery, pediatric and adult, um, and then it requires uh, more advanced training and a fellowship in pediatric general surgery. And that covers any condition from uh, neonatal uh, congenital anomalies all the way up through usually uh, 18 years of age and trauma, uh, malignancies, cancer surgery, uh, thoracic surgery, so we really co- cover a broad spectrum of cases and in, in ages of, of patients. Um, I did my uh, general surgery training in Portland, Maine, at uh, Maine Medical Center, and then I did my, my fellowship in at Omaha at, at Children's Hospital in Omaha.
1: Well, great, <clears throat> thank you. And, and how many pediatric surgeons do we have here at Sanford Children's?
2: We have three three board-certified pediatric surgeons in our practice here at Sanford Children's.
1: Great. So I you know, I think the Sioux Falls market has three pediatric surgeons, and the Fargo market has two, I believe. Is that correct? Correct? Great. correct. Super. Well, let's go ahead and get on to our topic. You know, Appendicitis is something we all learned about in medical school, and, and certainly a number of our providers see children with uh, appendicitis. Maybe you can expand it and some of the new things and the, the, the current perspective on the management of appendicitis in children.
2: Well, appendicitis obviously is a condition that we've been treating for centuries. Um, there's been uh, a lot of advancements in how we care for it surgically over the last 20 to 30 years with the advanced minimally invasive techniques. Um, and I think those, those techniques uh, started in adult surgery and quickly quickly expanded into pediatric surgery as well. Um, so that would be the big advancement from a surgical perspective and how we manage it would be more minimally invasive approaches. Um, but even even so we've actually really kind of streamlined our uh, medical treatment of of, of complicated appendicitis as well to the point where um, we, we have uh, efficient, uh, cost-effective, techniques, uh, management protocols to get these patients through the hospital and uh, uh, out of the hospital as, as, you know, with fewer complications. A lot of people uh, come to us with appendicitis and they, they think that uh, the, they think it's a dire surgical emergency. The child's potentially, you know, they hear the word uh, sepsis and they, they, they say things like that and the child's going to, you know, on death's door. And um, in reality, um, <clears throat> we've really become we've really become adept at, at with, with modern antibiotics and uh, and um, how we manage these patients postoperatively operatively um, to the point where I always reassure the parents that every single one of these patients is going to get better. It's just sometimes it takes a little longer for some than others. Great. So
1: I, I think that a lot of these patients obviously uh, refer to their um, or, or present to their outside emergency department. Um, for our providers that are listening, what would what should the workup entail uh, for the patient that you're
2: concerned about appendicitis? Well, I think the most important thing is a. As always, it's a thorough physical exam and history. You can get most of the diagnosis. You can arrive at, uh, really narrow it down pretty quickly with a really good history and physical exam, um, and the classic findings of right lower quadrant periumbilical pain, radi- eventually radiating to the right lower quadrant, uh, right lower quadrant point tenderness associated with nausea, anorexia, um, <clears throat> vomiting, and eventually fever. Uh, these are all sort of classic signs of appendicitis. And um, there aren't a lot of things that cause this in children. And so if you really focus on on the, this sort of constellation of signs and symptoms, you can narrow it down pretty quickly. And really, then, then it's just about uh, getting some confirmatory testing. Um, <clears throat> it is uh, with modern imaging, uh, CAT scans are extremely sensitive. Our modern CAT scans can really pick up um, even the earliest appendicitis and so it is easy um, and tempting to just go right to a cat scan um, to sort of confirm your suspicion but if you have um, if you ha- if you're tempted to do that you may end up getting a lot of cat scans in-, in patients who don't have appendicitis so they may have a few of those symptoms but not really the whole constellation that really raises your it Raises your suspicion, for, you know that that this is appendicitis, and so you end up getting a cat's. You end up potentially getting CAT scans on patients that don't need it, or don't have appendicitis, and you also may end up ordering CAT scans on patients that are so obvious that they have appendicitis that it really wasn't a, a helpful test. Because, um, and so we've developed some. Uh, the p- pediatric surgeons um, have sort of led the way in developing uh, uh, workup. Uh, protocols to minimize uh, and streamline, the minimize radiation and streamline the process to really hammer in the diagnosis. Uh, now, there are going to be some patients that that still uh, end up getting CAT scans because uh, they don't fit the classical, uh, they really don't fit the, the classic uh, presentation. And we, we do get fooled occasionally. But with the use of the, these protocols and these algorithms, we have been shown, we've shown that we can really reduce radiation in children. And, and long, big, large scale studies have demonstrated that radiation significantly increases the, the risk of long-term uh, malignancy, specifically lymphoma. There's some concerns about that. So whenever we can uh, avoid radiation, um, we like to do that. Of course, ultrasound, um, is a modality that uh, is relatively low cost, um, and, uh, Zero radiation and risk risk to the patient, and that 's something we 're certainly have been emphasizing uh, here locally and throughout the throughout the region with our referring providers
1: well i 'm really glad you hit on the the CT and the radiation subject because I think quite a you know that you see that a lot in the consumer literature and in the the lay press, and I think there 's a lot of parents that are That are quite informed about that, and of course, in children's hospitals, we do have the capability to limit radiation um, and give appropriate dose radiation uh, based on guidelines. So I appreciate that and and thank you. Um, You you spoke a little bit about ultrasound and the role of ultrasound in the workup of appendicitis. Could you expand that a little bit? Particularly, um, does I sense there's an expertise that's required,
2: or just expand a little bit on ultrasound? With appendicitis, well, uh, really the the number one thing is you need you need access to an ultrasonographer, um, and many facilities have that during the day, uh, during the work, uh, during the weekday. Uh, many of them don't have many facilities are in the in the region don't have access to that at night or on the weekends. But when they do have access to it, it's a it's an excellent. Uh, first step in in working up appendicitis, and you will um, be able to pick up the signs of appendicitis on ultrasound on most patients, Um, and then there will be some patients who uh, still require some additional imaging or further workup, but um, yes, it does require um, an ultrasonographer uh, that can identify the appendix or the secondary signs of appendicitis within the abdomen, and studies have shown that the more they do it, the better they get at it. Um, so uh, that's why we encourage um, our providers that are seeing these patients in the emergency department or in urgent care centers or even in clinics um, to, to get the ultrasounds when they think they may, you know, when they when they suspect appendicitis, if they have access to an ultrasonographer, um, to really get in the habit of, of doing it, because the more they do it, the better the the better they will get at it. Pediatric centers um, do a lot more ultrasounds on on children than um, uh, general hosp- general hospitals do, um, and that's been well documented in the literature, well studied in the literature that. Children who come to pediatric centers are more likely to get ultrasounds and less likely to get ionizing radiation in their workup, um, and so we encourage our referring facilities to utilize that option when it's there. Um. Well, great, thank you. thank you. That's that's very helpful.
1: Now, before we get to to surgical techniques or the or the type of surgery that you do. Are there any patients where the diagnosis may not be as straightforward?
2: Well, there's certainly patients who have complicated histories. Uh, if they have prior surgical histories or other uh, significant comorbidities, congenital anomalies it certainly raises, you know, increases the number of possible etiologies of their of their symptoms. Um, most of the patients that come to see us don 't have a prior surgical history. We care for a lot of patients that have complicated problems, but you know statistically speaking, most kids out there have no surgical history, so most of the kids are coming to to care without any really uh, history of surgery around their abdomen or any other major medical comorbidities. But there is one subset of patients that can that can um, uh, require a little bit more uh, thought and those are those are females, especially adolescent females. Um, uh, the agnexal pathology, the ovaries, uterus, specifically the ovaries and the fallopian tubes um, uh, can certainly um, bring pathology that will mimic appendicitis. Um, and so those, those patients um, uh, tend to require a little further investigation, and that may just be where if you have a 14-year-old girl uh, with classic right lower quadrant tenderness, uh, similar to a 14-year-old boy, uh, you, may, you may you may not do any further imaging on the boy, but on the girl, um, you you want to rule out a benign, um, non-surgical GYN issue, um, and so you'll confirm you'll confirm that with an ultrasound, probably the first step. But there are many uh, times where Boys in that adolescent age group come to see us, and they're so classic that we don't even do any further imaging. It's the girls that typically require, um, in that age group, especially the adolescent girls, would require probably more more likely to require a little bit more of a workup.
1: Great, thank you. That that's that's very helpful information. I know that um, the surgical uh, technique alone in, in appendicitis has just. Trains, ch- changed dramatically and has evolved over the years from from open to laparoscopy. If you would, for our listeners, in, in sort of a general way, give us current state as far as the, the technique. How long does a child usually stay in the hospital? Mm-hmm. When do they get back on their feet? When do they get a normal diet? Those type of things, if you would, please.
2: Sure. So it used to be uh, patients uh, would always get an open... Uh, 30, 30, 40 years ago, um, patients would always uh, go uh, get an open right lower quadrant incision over McBurney's point um, and do and, and do an open appendectomy. And then, with the advent of laparoscopy, quickly laparoscopic surgery became kind of a, the standard um, uh, in and then in pediatric surgery, especially the the standard is. Uh, accepted within our field is a laparoscopic approach. Um, It allows for uh, quicker recovery time, less pain, smaller incisions. Um, And traditionally, the laparoscopy has been done through three ports. So it's usually one port in the umbilicus, another port Typically above the pub uh, in the superpubic area, and a third port in the left lower quadrant. Um, and one of these ports being twelve, mil- 12 millimeter, millimeters in size, and the other two being five millimeters in size. And that's sort of been uh, standard for at least a decade or more, uh, maybe 15, 15 years in pediatric surgery. That that's kind of the accepted standard. There, I know I don't know any pediatric surgeons who are board certified now that are doing. Uh, uh, open appendectomies up front. But recently, uh, we've been able to develop techniques of uh, single-site laparoscopy, which is just through the umbilicus, umbilicus itself. Um, so we uh, put a special device uh, through the umbilicus and we're able to insert a, you know, the laparoscope and a couple of instruments, and we're able to, able to retrieve the appendix all through the umbilicus and in, with an incision that's about two centimeters in, one and a half to two centimeters in length the The incision ends up kind of getting buried in the center of the umbilicus, and uh, typically uh, within four to six weeks, of the heal with the healing. It's it's difficult to tell the pa- the child even had surgery. So there's a cosmetic benefit to that to that, but I, I believe there's also um, a, a, a real benefit from a surgical uh, morbidity standpoint in terms of pain control, and also I've seen uh, in my practice, very few wound infections, um, when we go directly through the center of the umbilicus. Um, we're not, uh, the umbilicus, the center of the umbilicus has no fat plane. And so we avoid, uh, going through a fat plane. Whereas Mm -hmm. when you go through other, uh, other regions of the abdomen, um, especially in patients who have a little bit more subcutaneous fat, there's sort of that dead space there. And that, the, that's an increased risk for post-operative wound infection, especially in the setting of perforated appendicitis. So we've seen very few uh, surgical site infections with single site laparoscopy. Uh, Obviously, patients and and family and parents love the idea of a minimally invasive uh, approach with almost no scarring um, long-term. And um, so overall, patient satisfaction is excellent. Complication rate is no different. Um, and we can manage perforated appendicitis or non-perforated appendicitis equally. In terms of post-operative care, we've been able to fast-track this to the point where for most patients with non-perforated appendicitis, uh, we're able to get them home within, uh, within 24 hours, and typically I try to get them actually discharged from PACU, so as if it were a day surgery, and that's really any time of day. So if I were to do... An operation at 11 o'clock at night and it was acute appendicitis i tell the family i'm willing to send you home from the recovery room there's really no real major advantage to keeping you in the hospital um because we don't give any post-operative antibiotics in that setting and it's mostly about pain control and with a single site um these patients go home on tylenol and ibuprofen um, for patients with more complicated appendicitis with perforation or abscess uh, they do require a, a a uh, stay in the hospital. Uh, typically, it's 72 hours minimum to get IV antibiotics. And there's a risk of postoperative, significant risk of postoperative abscess of about 30% in those patients with a perforation. And uh, keeping them on antibiotics for a period of time decreases that risk. Um, and then, um, <clears throat> but we you know we, we, we can get them home within 72 hours on oral antibiotics, and most of them do well uh, occasionally they will develop a, um, a post-operative abscess and the advantage of uh, being in a facility like this is we have access to seven days a week access to interventional radiologists who um, are able to manage our post-operative abscesses with you know CT guided um, drainage um, and that allows us to you know take care of the interabdominal abscess um, Without another operation, it's very rare that we have to take a child back to the operating room um, uh, for for an abdominal abscess. Our, our radiologists here are excellent; they provide timely care, um, and that's a huge advantage to being in this, in this facility. That they can get that full spectrum of care, if, no matter how complicated the the disease process is. <clears throat>
1: well, th- well, thank you. That. Um- well, it's pretty really amazing. So you can get operated on for appendicitis and go home essentially the same day. That's pretty pretty startling, and really speaks to the evolution in our in our care, our workup, our complications. And I know it's always great to get patients up on their feet and home where they can mm-hmm. where they can heal. Um, we'll wrap up now with just you know, pediatric surgery is a is a uh, is a valuable and incredible resource for our region. Um, but there's only a few of you here, so. Give our viewers uh, or give our listeners a bit of an opportunity to understand when should a provider call a pediatric surgeon? So in general, what types of things should they refer for a pediatric surgery?
2: Well, we, we care for a broad spectrum of, of, of diseases and, and conditions, like, I, like I, I said before, and anything from inguinal hernias uh, in babies up through uh, skin lesions in, in teenagers uh, chest wall abnormalities and teenagers. We, there's a huge, broad range of conditions that we care for, and I, I really think if, if there's a provider out there, whether they are a family practice doctor or a general a, uh, general surgeon out uh, in the community um, out there who sees a condition that they just they don't see on a regular basis, they haven't seen in a long time, um, they feel that they probably could care for it, but they're not necessarily uh, uh, exposed to this on a, on a routine basis, we're we're happy to take the phone calls. First of all, we're happy to take the phone calls and guide you through what would be best for the patient. Um, but we're also always willing to will, willing to see those patients because uh, we, there's three of us here. Uh, we're on call 24 hours. There's always one of us here on call 24 hours a day, um, and uh, we have access to all our subspecialists here. And so. Really, if there's ever a doubt in your mind about about what's going on, we're happy to see the patient, including including working a patient up for something as simple as appendicitis. Before you order that CAT scan or before you make that transfer call, uh, you know that, that decision to transfer the patient, we're always happy to, to kind of walk you through that on the phone and, and make sure that we're able to deliver that care, even if it's sort of remote guidance, if we're able to deliver that care that we would provide here locally. And if, if they need to come here, And we're always happy to have them.
1: Well, thank you. That's very helpful. And I I know that here at the Children's Hospital, we benefit as well from having pediatric anesthesia who works with you and and can help in that recovery. And so those are very beneficial. Um, Thank you for all you do. Uh, The pediatric surgeons are also extraordinarily involved with pediatric trauma and with safety across the state and really a valuable resource that... uh, our colleagues benefit from, but also, and more importantly, our patients and families benefit from. So thank you so much. And I'll turn it back to you, Courtney.
0: Dr. Sejlan, thank you. Dr. Gore, thank you for your expertise and for all that you do here at Sanford. Thanks for having me. Our Call to Care podcast series focusing on children continues as we talk about antibiotics, joint pain, sleep hygiene, and a whole lot more right here with our Sanford Health experts. Thanks for being here. We'll see you soon.